can have proximity without relationship and you can have relationship without proximity. But I feel like they really synergize each other in an important way. Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church where we discuss topics that matter to our lives as followers of the way of King Jesus. This is season two. We are talking about the values of the Buffalo Vineyard Church, asking the question, who are we? And this is episode five. I'm talking about incarnational ministry with Matt Kaufman. And this was a really fun conversation. Uh, Actually, I think a really important conversation for our church. This is one of the values that I really believe God wants us to push into more. And so we define incarnational ministry as um, really valuing our most immediate neighbors and prioritizing relationship with them. And we talk a little bit about where we can find that idea in scripture and why it matters so much uh, that we would actually be in relationship with our nearest neighbors. And then also talk a little bit about how to do that, both as individuals and as a congregation. I hope you enjoy. All right, Pastor Matt Kaufman. We're talking about uh, incarnational ministry. That we are. What is incarnational ministry? Well, I mean, the Latin roots of the word in- incarnate, right? It means meaty, meaty. That's right. Meaty ministry. The, the flesh. Putting, meaty, meaty service. Putting the flesh on, on the word, right? Yeah, it means making the, the teachings and truths of scripture um, a reality in in our our time and our place, making God real to the world around us Mm. and doing that in ways that are specifically tailored to speak to the the audience and the the people who are receiving that message about God so that they would understand and see God alive and real in in their place and their time. Okay, that works. So we were going to talk about some passages of scripture, but before we jump into that, as a follower of Christ, I mean, you were raised in Christian home, going to church. Like when did you first encounter this idea of incarnational ministry? I'm assuming, I I think I know enough about you to know that that wasn't something you were raised with, but that it's become something that's pretty important to you. For sure. Right. So yeah. When did you encounter that and what, how how did that, how did that work for you? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot we could go into there. Um, Yeah. And I mean, that does, it does speak right to some of the, that story does speak to some of, yeah, the important things about what incarnational ministry is meant and and looked like in my life. Was yeah, I, I I mean I grew up in a pretty affluent suburb in upstate New York and um, went to church there all my life and it was about a year into married life as in my mid twenties that uh, my wife and I started working in the city of Syracuse. And, um, yeah, it was, it was going into the, the city of Syracuse. I thought I'd been to the city of Syracuse plenty of times, but, uh, I realized as I was encountering the families that Jess was working with, as I was encountering the students that I was working with, that there, yeah, there's a lot of different worlds that live close by each other without real relationship with each other. Mm. And that understand and see and value different things in the world. I thought that everybody valued the things that I just thought everybody was like me. Middle class people valued, right? Why wouldn't yeah. you see the world that way? And why wouldn't you value the things that way? And mm-hmm. so as Christians, we we were working in that that environment and then chose to buy a house and, and live and move into that environment and built relationships with the neighbors around us. Um, so it became clear to me pretty quickly mm. that, you know, that that wasn't the case, right? That not everybody valued and saw the world the way that I did. And so, yeah, the way that Christianity, the way that the teachings of Jesus, the truths of scripture take on meaning and are lived out and are brought into the reality of everyday life look different for people coming from uh, different cultures. So it was through that whole process of starting to work in the city and then moving in and living in the city that I realized, oh, there's like, 
-hmm. some translation on their part and my part, right? We need to like learn how to relate to each other. And like I said, particularly I was an assistant pastor at the church that was located in the suburb that I grew up in. So there, there took like, there took some, some translation between the people that I was encountering in my everyday life living in the city and what it had meant like to live out the Christian life in the middle-class suburb that I'd grown up in. And so, so yeah, just that contextualization of the witness of, of God, like, and then its importance was something that was really, yeah, hammered home through that process of moving into the city of Syracuse and and working and living there. So just to, to put a period on what I just heard you say, it sounds like what you're saying is that going from one one cultural context to another, even though it wasn't very far geographically, it was a big difference culturally, um, which A, was shocking to you. You didn't mm-hmm. realize <laughs> right. that the cultures were that different, that close to each other. Um, but B, you began to realize that the the way you would follow Jesus in your new neighborhood would should be different than the way you would follow Jesus in your old neighborhood. So you're shaking your head, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm also curious, so you had to start doing some what you call translation work. Um, I'm curious if you, if you would say and how much you would say that the work of trying to translate your faith or the gospel into a new context helped you learn that maybe the, there were some ways that you needed to also do some translation work in your old context too, like mm-hmm. that there maybe were some things you thought you knew that you turned out you didn't or thought had figured out that it turned out you maybe had wrong. For sure. Yeah, you want to tell just one of those? I know that's not that's not exactly the point of what we're talking about today, but it's worth talking. No, about. it's definitely one of the there. There's a, a really yeah a story that illustrated that for me, really vividly. That is something I've thought about in our you know thinking about this conversation. Yeah, we had uh, my wife and I had built a relationship with a young man who had been resettled into the city of Syracuse. Uh, his family was traditionally from Burundi. He was. Hadn't been to Burundi at that point in his life, but Mm. had been a refugee for his entire life and had been resettled to Syracuse. And so he, um, yeah, just befriended me. And we, he he was like, you're going to teach me how to speak English. You're going to teach me how to drive a car. You're going to teach me how to use a computer. Right. And so he just hung out with me and, you know, we were pretty close in age and just built a a really neat relationship. And he was a bit of a joker and uh, uh, just a, a fun guy. And, we noticed that he wasn't in uh, in church one day. Interestingly, right after he had gotten his driver's license, mm. and uh, we were at home after church, and we got a call from from him, and uh, he told us that he had a wife, and uh, we were like, "What?" You know, I'd had conversations with him about girlfriends and things like that. You know, I was married at the time myself. So. You're pretty sure you would have heard about the wife. Yeah, before. exactly. Yeah. Before this point, and. Uh, so, you know, my wife was on the phone with him and said, well, if you have a wife, then, then bring, bring her here and show, show us right now. He says, okay, hangs up the phone. And five minutes later, <laughs> knock on the door and there he is. And there she is. And so, um, you know, the, the scenario that played out, uh, our church that we were a part of there in the, in, in a, like I said, in the suburb of Syracuse here in New York, uh, we had re- recently about 40 uh, refugees from Burundi had, uh, had showed up and were participating in the life of our church. The, uh, this, this young man's uncle was a free Methodist pastor in Africa, and so I was a part of a free Methodist church, and so they had connected with us. And so the, the whole scenario of working out what, uh, how to deal with the situation that ensued with how this young man had gone about uh, taking an 18 year old girl from her parents' home without their permission and without his parents' knowledge and permission. And just some of the social dynamics that were involved with that, like the whole dowry system, you know, to us in America, that seemed really antiquated and maybe even barbaric. Yeah, exactly. And to them was something like very, something they were really holding on to. And it seemed like to me, some of my classic evangelical beliefs, some of the things I saw going on in the situation between the young man and and woman and the family seemed very out of line with classical, you know, orthodox uh, evangelical beliefs. Right. And so, yeah, so there was this, this clash of, of, of cultural 
ethics, Christian ethics, right? And yeah. it was in navigating that together. Uh, I, I had the the I, the privilege I got. It, it ended up on my part very much being a privilege uh, yeah. of being invited to go to uh, the dowry ceremony and negotiation process that whole that happened with between his family and her family. And uh, we drove down to Cincinnati for the weekend, and it was the whole thing was an immersion in Burundi yeah. culture. Really opened my eyes to the beautiful. I, I was, you know, had some great folks that helped me walk through that experience and, and explain what was going on, and just really revealed the really beautiful things that they were valuing and that they were just trying to uphold some really great things. Um, it shined a whole different light, gave me a whole new perspective on something that I had thought had barbaric, was barbaric and helped reveal to me how some of the things, some of the ideas I was holding on to about what should or shouldn't be happening in the situation were actually, well, that's like, that's ridiculous for me to expect right. that in this, this situation. It wasn't actually, you didn't actually have, you thought you had biblical expectations. Yeah. It turned out they were just American expectations. Yeah, yeah they were cultural expectations. Exactly. Right. And so and you yeah. were judging them for their anti-biblical. Exactly. exactly. And right. it turned out that they weren't, they weren't necessarily biblical, but they actually were valuable Burundian. Yeah, it was right. an expression of the same things that I would value right. from coming from Scripture, but they looked very different. And so do you have a dowry for your son to go Yeah, not, get a wife now or no? Not yet. No, <laughs> I haven't said I, I should start a fund. Actually, that. isn't that his job? Right. <laughs> it was. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's a whole interesting. Uh, it, it was pretty neat. We got to see both ends of that. So the the. The groom's father is, is supposed to be generous with the dowry because it would have, in their culture, been in the form of livestock. And livestock is not something that's static. It's right. It lives and grows and multiplies, right? right. And so uh, the flip side of the dowry is on the birth of the firstborn son that uh, the offspring from the dowry are then gifted back to the, to mm. the family. And so depending on how generous the groom's father was to begin with is how much yeah. his son's young family is blessed in return at the birth of their, of their children. So, and we got to go to that ceremony oh, that's cool. as, as well and, and get to see that. So again, yeah, just like a really cool and very eye opening. That was for me, that was the, the, the where it really clicked too. that like, yeah. Oh, okay. Everything that I think is Christianity isn't necessarily biblical. It's a lot of it is cultural and, uh, mm. and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, relationships across culture um, have, for me have illuminated what's at the core of Christian belief, right? Like what are the things that universally across the globe, you know, this is what it looks like to live out Christian values and what are actually just cultural expressions and things that we've been clinging to that maybe we could let go of. Yeah. So, so yeah. And how that ties to incarnational ministry, I think right. it's, it's, it's finding, it's going, walking through that process, right. And finding those universal central truths, right. That are expressed across the globe, uh, no matter what culture we, we, we uh, encounter and, and finding ways to express in a way that they can see and understand Right, those those cultures, th th those values, and those um, principles from from scripture. So I'm going to read just some of the language that is like our church has put together, kind mm -hmm. of defining this, and then maybe you've got some passage. Well, you could respond to, to what I read, but maybe you've got some passages of scripture that you think we could take a look at too that get at that idea of um, yeah, incarnational ministry and 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 what it is and how it works. So yeah, we've got like just the the basic tagline. Um, defining incarnational ministry says prioritizing our closest neighbors, not just in a generic sense, um, contextualizing the gospel to the world, but contextualizing the gospel to, you know, the people who live on this block or who live in this neighborhood. And then there's kind of like a longer paragraph. It says being for the neighborhood and of the neighborhood. Jesus became one of us and came to where we were. This is what it meant to be incarnational. And this serves as our model in ministry. Just as he came to a specific place and a specific people and lived as one of them, we too are committed to living as a part of the community to which we minister. We want to be a church for the neighborhood, serving our neighbors, not ourselves. We also want to be a church of the neighborhood, with all of the people who live here being represented in our church community and our leadership. Yeah. So how, how do you want to respond to that? 
Well, yeah, I mean, one of the passages that first comes to my mind when I hear that is uh, from Second Corinthians 8, Second Corinthians 8, 9. Paul is writing about generosity to the church in Corinth, and uh, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Yeah, Jesus came to Israel. He prioritized a ministry to the people of, of Israel. Right. And lived as a rabbi, teaching in the methods and and culture and setting that, yeah, as the, the rabbis of his day would have taught in, but providing a, a specific critique and representation of that that spoke specifically to some of the universal truths, mm. right, that God was trying to communicate through, through the law, through the prophets, through all that he had been communicating to Israel and maybe illuminating some of the things that Israel had added on, right, that were just the things that they thought were of God, but that were actually just of their culture. Yeah. So, yeah, and he left behind um, his place of privilege and became a servant and humbled himself um, to the authorities of, of the day, um, even to the point of, of death, that it's through him leaving heaven, coming to where we are, giving up a place of privilege to and, and taking on the culture and the, not just the culture of, of Israel that day, but like just taking on humanity itself for all of humanity, yeah. right? For God to like say, I am where you are. I am just like you and you are just like me, right? We yeah. are of one image and um, yeah, Jesus just coming in, in a really specific, intimate way, dwelling as one of us in a very specific place in time. And so, yeah. That's something that we want to be doing here on the west side of Buffalo is living in this community, whether that's living in this community as the place where we, we go to bed every night, right? right. Where we raise our kids, um, but living in this community by working here, um, by worshiping here, by being a part of the fabric of, of the community in, in whatever way that, that could look like. And as we do that, we, yeah. We want to be learning about what are the values of the kingdom that are alive in the in the culture and in the the, the place where that that we're at, and how do we, you know, how how do we illuminate for people that those are those are those are that's God, right? Yeah. How do we help people encounter God uh, in 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 ways that are meaningful and important and relevant to to their lives? So you're already kind of hinting at where I want to go next, but before we get there, I want to drill into um, a little bit more like just the definition or, or the, the understanding of what incarnational ministry is. Cause it seems like, it seems to me like there's two aspects of it. One is, so the idea of like Christ emptying himself and descending or condescending to become one of us. Right. And that there's that part of it where it's like, wh- whether it's like coming to a new place and having to, you know, it's not necessarily rid yourself of your old culture, but like let go of your expectations. But even as you were talking about, even in the culture you were raised in, you began to learn, oh, wow, like I have to let go of some of my expectations about what it means to be a Christian in this context, right? And so there's that emptying of oneself of, you know, expectation or privilege or or cultural patterns. But then on on the other side, and I think it's two sides of the same coin, incarnational ministry isn't just about emptying yourself. It's also about like embracing a specific way of being, right? It's not like Jesus was in one sense embracing humanity in a, in a very generic sense, but he did it in a very particular way, right? He didn't, he didn't embrace humanity generically. He embraced specifically first century Jewish humanity, you know, and that, that, so that's the other side of it is, you know, for us in our church, it's like, well, we're not going to contextualize the Christian faith to, you know, rural Northern California or suburban Syracuse or urban Beijing, China, we're going to contextualize it for the upper West side of the city of Buffalo. Right. 
um, cause that's where God has placed us. Um, and so in one sense, it's like that emptying oneself, but in another, it's like embracing a particular way of being. Are you familiar with, um, I, I, I think you and I have talked about this, but Dallas Willard's vessel trap. Are you familiar with that? I don't recognize I'm sure it, we've had a conversation about it. I'll explain it to you and then, you, then I'll let you talk. So he talks about the vessel trap as with, so the, I you remember now? Yeah. Okay. So like the idea is, um, that the gospel is a treasure, but the treasure has to be contained in some sort of a vessel, right? So like uh, Paul talks about, you know, we have this treasure in jars of clay or wh- like whatever, you know, you could talk about fine wine in a cup or you could talk about, you know, uh, treasure in jars of clay or you could talk about whatever. But but the idea is that the gospel is the treasure, but it has to go into a culture, right? It has to go into a cultural container um, that holds the, the treasure. And um, he says that the trap is that we always are tempted to confuse the two and get confused about what the treasure actually is versus what's the container that's holding the treasure. And which again, that story that you told already really highlights that, that idea that, you know, oh, what I thought was the treasure turned out just to be the vessel, right? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, he points at um, what takes place in the the book of Acts, you know, so there's the Jerusalem council and there's the question of, you know, who's really in with Jesus, who's really um, in the church. Uh, and do you have to become a Jew? Do you have to get circumcised? Do you have to follow the kosher laws to become a follower of Christ? Or can the Gentiles come in as Gentiles? And he talks about that as like the first vessel trap. But then he says, you know, like the church successfully navigated that vessel trap, although it did so with a lot of like pain and suffering and argument. Um, And then over the last 2000 years, we have successfully and unsuccessfully navigated lots of vessel traps, which again, like you, you told a story about your own navigation of a vessel trap within the context of, you know, a bunch of Burundian Christians coming and joining this suburban uh, Syracuse Christian fellowship um, and having to to chew on that. So yeah, I just, yeah, respond a little bit more about that idea of like emptying yourself, but also embracing a particular culture and how, like what that, what that means. Yeah. I think that, well, I, I had a really unique experience last week. Um, very sad, and but just eye opening, illuminating experience. Um, so as part of our ministry here at the Buffalo Vineyard Church, we have the Five Loves Farm Ministry, which grows healthy food for our community and employs teenagers from from our neighborhood. And uh, yeah, just tries to give them job skills and, and teach them, um, help build their character and, and teach them good ways to to live in this world. And so we've been doing that for almost a, for for now for over a decade. And um, one of, one of the first young men that uh, I encountered unfortunately passed away last week and uh, that he he worked with us for for two summers on the farm and um who his name was John and so he lived just a, his grandmother he lived with his grandmother uh, just two doors down from where the farm is today and you know just a couple houses away from from our house and um so I pulled up in front of my house uh, last week and a car pulled in front of me and out of that car stepped another one of the young men, uh, Jimmy, who, okay. who had worked with him for those two summers and worked, yeah. worked for me for about five, five summers with us at, at, at the farm. And so he's walking out of the car toward, towards me and mine and uh, I roll down my window and we start talking and he shares the, the news with me. I hadn't heard heard about it. And uh, he was telling me that there was a, a vigil that was going to be taking place right in front of his, his his grandmother's house is now just an abandoned house on on the block, but that they were going to be gathering there in front of his, his grandmother's old house to have a vigil for him. He said it was going to be about half hour, 45 minutes, and he was going to pick up some people and he'd be back. And so I was grateful that I was able to find out about this from him and right. told him I was planning to come on down. And so about half hour, 45 minutes later, I'm out on my front porch, like texting him, texting Jimmy, like, hey, what are you, are you coming back? Let me know you're coming back. I'll go over with you. You know, cars are starting to gather down the block from us and they're playing. He was, the, the, John was from a Puerto Rican family. So they're playing 
reggaeton and hip hop and very loudly so the whole neighborhood could hear it. And um, yeah, it's young 20 something year old Puerto Rican guys getting out of the car. And just as I noticed the way that they greeted each other and, and the, the, the sound of their music and yeah, just the, the way that they carried themselves. And I'm like, okay, I'm this 40 year old white dude who's gonna go walk into the middle of a bunch of 20 year old Puerto Rican dudes and you know it was really awkward it was like for me right like I'm completely out of place here right and uh, I was longing very much for Jimmy to text me back so that I could go with someone into that situation he didn't end up coming back till much later so I just had to get up the nerve myself and and go over and walk into the situation. And as I'm like trying to take that first step to to go over and walk into that situation, I realized, you know what, this is what Sunday morning at our church is like for them, right? Different kind of music, a different, just the way people greet each other, talk to each other. I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like, how do I introduce myself? What are the things that are important to to say when I introduce myself and I'm like, well, these are the things that would be important for me, but that's probably not important for them. Right. So like, even like realizing our values are different. Right. And so, and I'm sure that they, that's how, like I said, Sunday morning at Buffalo Vineyard church seems to lots of different people groups that make up our neighborhood are. Yeah. It's just something that, as awkward and weird and as much as I wanted somebody else to be able to walk into that situation with, you know, it, it's the same experience for them coming to a Sunday gathering with us at the church. And so I think that so just sidebar, you have to tell that story in your sermon. I am good. All right. Yes. It's <laughs> definitely not everybody in our church part. will listen to this podcast. Everybody in our church needs to hear that story. Yeah. It's, All right, keep, keep telling the story. It, it, yeah. So more specifically, everybody needs to hear the point you just made about yeah, that story. Yeah. And so I think that uh, as, as you, I think that the emptying of ourselves that we were talking about right. is wait, when was the last time that we were that person? Like I'm walking into how, how much more can I be the light of God? Like walking into these people mourning the death of their friend, you know, like, and so like I get to carry the light of and uh, in, in comfort of, of Christ into the situation, right? right? Like as somebody who was a genuine friend of John, right? Exactly. So like how much more is that like a fulfillment of the gospel, right? right. To like be present with our neighbors in the midst of their mourning. Yep. But it was very, it it was a, a definitely an emptying experience. I had to like set my cultural expectations, my yeah. comfort aside to go and do that, to, to do that. Yeah. So there, there's definitely ways that we, we need to take on, and Jesus modeled it over and over again. Yes. Did, how many times did he walk into the place where everybody in his culture, like if you were being a good Jewish rabbi, you would be an outsider to go join the outsiders, right? To go hang out with lepers or tax collectors or drunkards. Yeah, like Samaritans. So, exactly, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, so, you know, if we're trying to, as Jesus made God's love and truth incarnate, in, yeah. in, in our world by doing that. How are we, how are we doing that? How are we stepping in to uh, a place where we're the outsider and not expecting the people of the world to come in to everything that we have constructed in our culture and our way of doing things around yeah. worshiping and following <clears throat> God. But how are we going and being in, into situations where they're outside? And again, this is, just down the block where I live. This isn't right. like, you know, take right. like going to China to do, you know, this is something that can, can happen very close to where we live. So that, but, but at the same time I was, I was saying, what, what more could I be like? I'm bringing into this situation, you know, the love and comfort of Christ. And yeah, as a, as a friend of somebody, um, yeah, as, as I got all the things, all the ways that I thought to introduce myself when I got there, it was like, I knew John. Right. And, uh, that, and, that, and that's, that's all you that's needed to say. That's the only introduction I needed. Right. Exactly. And, and, uh, and for me to, to and as, as socially awkward as it was, it was cool. They were cool that you were there. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the, the one thing that like an observation that I wanted to make about that is that as awkward as it was for you to walk into that situation where you knew you were walking into a cross-cultural situation, it's even more awkward when you walk into that same situation, but you don't understand that it's a cross-cultural situation that you're walking into because then you read all of that awkwardness as having to do with you personally, instead of having to do with this cross-cultural situation. And that's the part that I really like it breaks my heart when I see that happen within the context of our church where somebody is showing up to a Sunday gathering or to some other event or whatever, you know, barbecue, you, you name it. It's like somebody shows up, they, they worked up the nerve to like you did to walk into a situation where they don't know people and they feel that, that cultural disconnect, but they might not necessarily read it as about culture because not, not everybody does right. particular. I mean, like you said, you didn't, you didn't realize how different the culture was a few blocks away from where you grew up. You just assumed everybody was like you who lived there. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we make those kinds of assumptions. And so again, like having somebody show up, I mean, I've seen it happen in our congregation where right. somebody will visit and I can see that they are, they just don't feel welcomed. Right. And it's like, man, that that's really disheartening. Right. Well, and so I think in the, so how do we deconstruct some of the, the vessel, right, right. That, that we've been communicating and how do we construct a, a vessel that more, that represents more the, the, the culture that we're in, right? How do, how do we, how do we present the gospel? How do we come up? And that, that's really what the farm really is, right? Mm. Is another vessel beyond Sunday morning. Like Sunday morning has been like the vessel that the church uses over and over and over and over, and over right? And well, yes and no. Sure. I mean, yes, unfortunately, the church oftentimes thinks that that's the only vessel. Right. But also, right. I mean, first of all, our church actually isn't that way. No, right. And there are lots of churches that aren't that way, you know? I mean. But that is, that's one way that we can, right. where I feel like the church falls into that idea right. of the vessel trap, the, the trappings around what, what Sunday morning means for, sure. for Christians and for the church uh, can be. So I, and, and by, we, we can, we can keep that vessel. We don't even need to deconstruct <laughs> that vessel really. Uh, there, there's ways that we could talk about. Yes. I would like it if that, we did. That, that vessel. Sure. Yes. Uh, but I, I mean, Sunday gatherings are a great and important part of what we do. Yes. But, the, but I don't want to, I don't want to ax it. I yeah. just would love it if it was yeah. a little more mutable. Well, yeah. As you've said in front of our congregation, lots of times that, you know, Sunday morning isn't church, that the farm isn't church, that small groups aren't church, that the barbecues aren't church, you know, that all of these things together make up right the church. And so, uh, but and that I, means all of those things are the vessel that needs to be yeah. navigated successfully. Right. right. Yeah. And so having, I think having those, those different expressions, like that's what incarnational ministry looks like it is more reggaeton at uh sure. church. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I mean, actually not necessarily. Right. But although probably Matt's going to start, uh, you're going to bring out your uh, trombone. I don't know about that, uh-huh. but having, how many people know that you play the trombone? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't play the trombone. I played the trombone. <laughs> Past tense. Yes. But, uh, uh you're going to play the trombone, <laughs> but we we need to have places in in the life of our church that reflect these that you know the different uh, right the cultures that we're that we're encountering. So as much as I do think that we need to well, and we we've already kind of like moved into talking about what like why it matters, and even a little bit of like how we do it. Um, and I think those are the two things that I want to make sure we talk through. Um, for the rest of our time together is, you know, why this really matters, which again, I think we're saying it matters. It matters because it's the only way we're actually going to successfully offer the gospel to our neighbors and successfully invite and include our neighbors in what God is doing in our fellowship. If we're not doing incarnational ministry, that won't happen. Right. And if we are doing it, that actually has a chance of happening. Yeah. And so it really boils down to do do we actually want to love our actual neighbors or not? Right. And again, it's that uh, the 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 for and and of the neighborhood, right? There's yep. 
there's plenty that we could do for the neighborhood without being incarnational, but we're never going to be of the neighborhood without being incarnational and being intentional about being incarnational. Yes. So I think that when we talk about like how we do it, I do think that there's lots of, for lack of a better word, like systemic things that we can change. I'm talking about within our church, not, not like, again, that's why maybe that's not the right word, but like there's things that we could change about like our Sunday morning service or the way that we do small groups or, you know, again, you talked about the farm being an attempt at like incarnational ministry or, or um, a venue for that. Or so it's like, okay, well, could we, you know, change this or, and I think we should have those conversations, but from my perspective, that the, those would all be secondary. The primary way in which I would want to see us engaging in incarnational ministry and the primary strategy that I think would actually be successful is if the culture of our community was such where every individual who was a part of our, of our fellowship saw themselves as personally and directly engaging in relationship with neighbors across those kinds of cultural boundaries. Yeah. Whether you're talking about, you know, uh, ethnicity, like with, you know, Puerto Rican community that, that you were, you were talking about, or you're talking about class, um, or you're talking about, you know, whatever politics, you name it, like Mm -hmm. saying, okay, I personally feel that I have a commitment to engaging across these cultural boundaries that exist and so I am going to be a aware, oh, that person coming into our Sunday morning gathering looks like they don't actually fit in here. I'm personally committed to going and making sure that, you know, you're talking about wanting Jimmy to be there walking. I'm going to be Jimmy to that person. I'm going to be the person that helps them navigate. You know, I'm going to be the friend to them that includes them in this and make sure that they feel welcome and they understand, you know, how to greet people and how to, so that they feel comfortable here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what you think about that. If you would agree again, I'm not saying that there aren't some larger things that we should be paying attention to, but from my perspective, and I actually have some biblical reasons for that too. It's not just like, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, what I took away as I reflected more on that experience. um, Yeah. I mean, it was, it was proximity and relationship Mm -hmm. were the two like central things that, you know, where that was what was going on. Right. If I hadn't, been in, in my car, pulling up in front of my house in my car when Jimmy drove by. If, you know, the farm didn't exist two doors down from where John lived. Um, you know, if I, if I didn't live in the neighborhood where the vigil was taking place, right? Like it was, the, it was the proximity that helps synergize relationship. You can have proximity without relationship and you can have relationship without proximity. But I feel like they really synergize each other in an important way. I think that that looks like on a really personal level, like we said, you know, there's large scale things that we could talk about that way. Ways that just are, yeah, even, yeah, just culture and, and life is, is structured in ways to either eliminate proximity or eliminate relationship. Right. Right. Um, But then, but on a really personal way and in a very biblical way, how, both of those things play out is just through hospitality. I mean, from Abraham and Lot and Boaz to Ruth and Rahab and to the ministry of Jesus to the just expectation of Paul's mission work throughout the the Roman Empire. It was it was that witness of God's people being hospitable people. And just welcoming people in sometimes in some pretty radical ways that, that yeah, continues this message and, and life and, and, and work of God in, in our world in really powerful ways. And so I think that's something that on a personal level we could all engage in is how are, yeah, how are we being hospitable to just in general, how are we being hospitable to our closest neighbors? How are we being hospitable to people who are different than us? Right. Yeah. In all these different, different ways, just, yeah. How do we, how do we embrace hospitality and just try and love our neighbors in just simple, authentic ways. I mean, 
looked like last night. We 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 got a big dump of of snow here uh, in Buffalo the last couple of days, and you know it's the relationships of I've shoveled your driveway, you're shoveling mine, right? Like that's happened. And so, I mean, our one neighbor, Tom, he like, we were, we were stuck out of town and we came home to like our, <laughs> our whole block and, and yeah. everywhere around us was all taken care of for us. Mm. And so, you know, we were working over at the farm, making some pizzas with our, with our youth and, and distributing them out, them out to the neighborhood. So making sure, and as we're over there, as I'm going to set up over there, another neighbor who, uh, has worked with us on, you know, we've interacted a ton back and forth. He's there snow blowing in front of the farmhouse as we're going in to, to go yeah. set up to, to distribute food that for the evening, you know? And so we make sure that true gets a pizza. We make sure that Tom gets, you know, just, it's just really simple. It can be really simple stuff, shoveling people's driveway and yeah. sharing, sharing food together. And, but the, it's the heart behind it, which yeah. is, I mean, it is, it's, it's the heart behind it and the practical action that yeah. is included in it. But it's that true and Tom both know that you carry them in your heart, that you've made room for them in your life. Right. And that whether it's a pizza or the fact that you shoveled their walk two weeks ago or whatever it is, and all of the other small ways that you've interacted with those, those two men and others you you've demonstrated to them that like you've created space in your life for them to be in your life. Right. And that's what hospitality is. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and they've, they've done it. Right. Too, exactly. It's, it's reciprocal. Just, yeah. Well, and that's the cool thing about how human beings work mm -hmm. is when we extend hospitality, it oftentimes is reciprocated. Yeah. And, and also sometimes the easiest way to build trust with somebody paradoxically is actually to accept their hospitality, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm sure mm -hmm. you've had experiences yeah, like that. I have too, sure. where it's like, I'm here to serve this person. Mm -hmm. And like the barrier to me serving them is, is the me fact serving that, them. Is that I'm, exactly, <laughs> I'm here to serve you. Yeah. It's like, and, and as soon as I actually let them serve me, all of a sudden, like we have a friendship. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's played out time and time again. Yeah. At, at the farm for yeah. sure. Yes. Just in life and ministry. Yeah. I drank a whole lot of Bud Light, even though that's probably my least favorite beer. <laughs> <laughs> and I've drank a whole lot of other people's Bud Light in my efforts to let them serve me. And I actually genuinely appreciate it. And there, you know what? I'll tell you what, when it's really hot and you're working really hard, <laughs> a nice cold Bud Light is actually pretty nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's actually better than, uh, a really, really, really dark, thick, malty beer. Right. Although as a general Fancy. rule, a really, really dark, thick, malty beer is better. Well, so yeah, we, um, just in terms of like practically doing this, what are some of the things that you would say, whether it's like for us as a congregation as a whole or, you know, other congregations or just thinking about the church in general, how do we put this into practice as churches but also like, how do we put this into practice? Like you or me or, you know, individuals that are part of our congregation, what, what should we be doing? Again, to just dig into the proximity thing a little bit, I'll uh, pull up, pick up the, 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 the book, the prophetic imagination by Walter Brueggemann here. And uh, are Christians allowed to use their imagination? Mm -hmm. For sure. He's, he's pointing how, how Jesus did. He says, Jesus of Nazareth presented the ultimate criticism of uh, this world's con consciousness. He has, in fact, dismantled the dominant culture and nullified its claims. And the way of his ultimate criticism is his decisive solidarity with marginal people and the accompanying vulnerability required by that solidarity. The only solidarity worth affirming is solidarity characterized by the same helplessness they know and experience. And it's that, that last piece there, that um, the solidarity worth affirming is one characterized by the same helplessness um, they know and, and experience. The idea that when we live with people, um, we get to experience the same, some of the same things that, mm. that they're experiencing. Yeah. And we can know about a lot of these issues. Like we say, well, I'm trying to serve my neighbors, right? And, and and if we're not in proximity to them and and life and the issues that life presents, 
Yeah. We can know about the issues that they're facing and try and step in and try and help them out with those issues. But when proximate, when we get as proximate as we can to them in that situation and those issues become the same issues that we're navigating, that we're trying to figure out. I think that that just really helps us do incarnational ministry. Well, right. It's the, the solidarity worth affirming, right? It's, what Jesus did that he touched the leper, right? Right. You know, it can't get more proximate than that. And, and, and like, and you know, that would be the way that you would become a leper, right? Yeah. Is to touch someone with leprosy. And so Jesus is becoming one of them. So yeah, just figuring out ways to be. And, and again, that, like I said, that can look like actually living in a place um, but it can it can look like being involved in other ways too. I mean, we were talking about where I grew up with was <laughs> it was a place that was structured to. I had proximity to plenty to, plenty of people, but my life there was structured to not have relationship with the people that I was in yeah. proximity to. Yes. So proximity doesn't equal relationship and and the solidarity. But I do think that it's a really important piece. The more proximate that we can become to the issues that are facing the people that we're living, that, that we're serving and loving and living with, you know, that that's where incarnational, where God's love and truth is going to become the most real to them and to us. Yeah. So if you were going to put that in as concrete action as possible, right. so imagine, you know, and again, you're going to get to preach this sermon tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. So if you imagine, you know, some of the faces that are a part of our, our fellowship and, like okay if you were going to say to some people like by name this week here's what you go do here's how you put this into practice in your life tomorrow this after you know go watch the super bowl or do this you could watch the super bowl and do this i guess sure i think that as i was thinking about just participating in this whole sermon series of right where we're like exploring the values of our congregation and our church community I was thinking about how, yeah, for for some people in our congregation, these th- these values are are there because they're in the DNA of the people who make up our congregation, right? Yeah, they're, they're just something that people do, but not not necessarily everybody, right? Right, has the in their DNA every one of these values. Fair enough. And so for others, you know, some of these values are very aspirational. <laughs> uh, you know that we, we hang out with the people who. It's in their DNA so that we get yeah. to learn a little bit more about what it looks like. Isn't that Paul's picture of the church as a body? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, the the cool thing is, as I think about the people that make up our congregation, is there's plenty of people who are are doing this. And so, I mean, whether it's, you know, the handful of, you know, the number of families that do live right here on the west side of Buffalo and yeah. are just trying to build real relationship with actual neighbors they live next door across the street or down the block right yeah and yeah are just just have an eye for their practical needs and and don't see them as i'm here to serve you but like just want to build friendship and yeah and and share life together so there's a lot of that going on but then i mean there's you know the ministries that we're connected with you know the farm is a ministry of the church but there's you know our value of being a part of a network of ministries yes you know and we have people in our church that either lead or work for uh these ministries and they do they lead or work for these ministries because for them this is what it's meant for them to make god's love incarnate for it to have flesh on 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 it for the world and neighborhood that we live in whether that's the the folks that places like Jericho Road Community Health Center or uh, 716 Ministries and the various aspects of work that they do, job readiness and caring for the different, the physical structure in our, in our neighborhood. And uh, yeah, so just, I mean, even the ways that, uh, that Gail is leading us to have this <laughs> radical hospitality for the Afghan families being resettled into our city. Uh, you know, there's just so many ways that it's already happening yeah. in our congregation. And so, yeah, having parties in their backyard, shovel in their, their driveway, you know, 
making sure they have health care that, you know, they have access to health care, making sure that they have access to, to jobs and job skills, you know, all, all these different ways, you know, make sure they have access to, to good education, you know. So it's it's the ways that that people are living out as teachers and doctors and nurses and uh, instructors and custodians and handymen and handy women and all these different things that people are doing for uh, for our neighborhood and and with our neighbors um, are, are are really cool and things that people could push into more. The, the vineyard tradition talks about demonstration and proclamation, right? And I always, I'm smiling, which I always smile whenever people talk about vineyard tradition, right? <laughs> Our 30 going on 40 years of vineyard right. tradition. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, it is vineyard tradition. It's sure. fair to call it that. It's yes. just funny to call it that. that. It's not that, that yeah. old. Yeah. But um, how long have you guys been doing this? <laughs> about 30 seconds. <laughs> One of the ways Vineyard has talked about presenting the gospel is through proclamation and, and demonstration. So finding ways to, you know, all these ways that I've been talking about have really been focused on the demonstration side of it. Yeah. Um, but just being responsive to ways that we can be proclaiming why we're doing and what we're doing and what God is offering people um, in the midst of those situations, whether that's offering prayer for them or biblical wisdom for them or... yeah. Letting them pray for us, yeah, right. letting them offer right. us biblical wisdom. Yeah, man. So, so I think that something that I really want to hone in on, though, because I feel like everything you said is kind of predicated back upon something you said earlier, which was uh, proximity and relationship, yeah. right? And that you can't be praying for each other and sharing wisdom with each other without proximity and relationship. But you can be doing things like offering, you know, housing or medicine or whatever without proximity and relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And as much as, I, like, I agree with everything you just said about the, the practicalities of how we do it and some of the ways that people in our congregation actually are doing incarnational ministry, I think it's worth really putting our finger on that, that mm -hmm. it's like, okay, it is all of that stuff, but yeah. it's... Which, you know, like one of the play, part of part of the reason why I said earlier, I think there are biblical reasons for saying that the most important way that we do this is in that kind of like individual relational mode um, is, you know, in, in uh, Galatians 2, where like Paul gets in Peter's face about the whole kind of like Jews not eating with Gentiles thing. And and he talks about that as a failure to understand the gospel. Right? It's not just an ethical issue or a moral failure. It's like, this is a gospel issue. This like eating, like table fellowship, this eating together with people who aren't like you in any way except for your faith in Christ. And I feel like that's, again, it's proximity and relationship. It's like proximity and intimacy that, that takes place. And like for us to just really like nail that down. And it, it goes back even to the story about you going and hanging out with John's friends. And it's like, Th those kinds of experiences should be the way that I think we measure our commitment to and our engagement in incarnational ministry is, you know, how many times do we walk into those vigils? How many times do we get to be, um, you know, welcoming people into our vigils? How many times do we get to be the Jimmy who is, you know what I mean? Like those kinds of things. And I don't know. Yeah. You, you can respond to that. You're shaking your head. Yes. But <laughs> talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think that the ways that we, yeah, can can do, a, a, yeah, I was shaking my head because, yeah, the whole time thinking about, yeah, cycling back to that idea of when were we the outsider learning from from them, right? When were, when are we, like, humbling ourselves to um, be in that position, to let them lead us in, in learning about who they are, what's important to them, the work that God has been doing, in their lives and in this place and time. Yeah. Us not coming down in, like you said, there's, there's it's, it's both uh, as we state in our, right. in our definition of <laughs> yeah. that, it's both right. Us coming and doing what we can for them. Um, but it's also hopefully would equally be, um, us learning how to, yeah, put ourselves in places where we're learning from them, where yep. we're letting them lead us in. And I mean that, 
again, another vineyard tradition, right? <laughs> is to, to let everybody play, right? Yeah, right. And so I think that that uh, we saw Jesus doing that, deploying people mm-hmm. to uh, to to play around with and experiment with and try and live out yeah. uh, these these values that he was teaching them together and uh, to learn from each other in the process. And so making sure that we just have that kind of posture and approach and that, that we put ourselves intentionally in places where we're the one learning, where we're the one being led. And there's no, yeah, other way for people to be included and to, 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 to really be welcomed and for their culture to truly be expressed without them expressing their culture and them leading and them, yeah, do, doing this with us. So, yeah, so finding ways to not necessarily do for them, um, but to do with them is is really key. And like you said, yeah, being humble enough to accept their hospitality as much as we're willing to offer hospitality to them. Yeah. So you got to, you, you can count, you can measure your maturity as a follower of Jesus by the number of times you have been, you have uh, accepted an invitation to eat a meal in your neighbor's house. Right. Especially of, of goat meat. If, yeah, it has to be goat. <laughs> if you're from my background, at least. <laughs> I, I, I would be willing to accept that as a mark of uh, Christian maturity. Right. How many times have you eaten in one of your neighbor's homes? That's right, for sure. And if the answer is zero, you're an immature Christian. <laughs> no. I'm I, not, that, I, as yeah, as exactly. funny as that is, we're not joking. No, I know. Yep. Now I'm trying to, I'm, I'm going to have to count now. <laughs> right. Well, in, in our, so a, a big part of what the, the farm and again, one of its partner ministries, the, the five Lowe's farmhouse is trying to be is a space for us to do that together. Yep. Right. For, for how, how is the church actually intentionally like structuring how it's set up to allow that kind of thing for for us to part to join them in parties and them to join us in parties. The kingdom of God is a party. Yeah. Yeah. And and wakes and yeah. Baby showers and <laughs> right. yeah, like all all, of all all the things that all make up of life. The things. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's cool. So well, that's a we just hit the hour mark just right there. Is there anything yeah. else that uh you just have a burning desire to get off your chest? I think that, uh, yeah, just hammering home one of the other verses. uh, I mean, obviously, in the beginning of John, it talks about Jesus as the word, right? And the word becoming flesh, you know, Peterson and the Eugene Peterson and the the message translate that and God moved into the neighborhood, right? So that's, that's what we've been talking about, right? Like, how do we like put flesh on? God's love and truth and the things that Jesus has taught us, right? And that's what Jesus was doing, right? John was saying that the word became flesh. I think that, I mean, as he wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount in in the book of Matthew, uh, at the end of Matthew 7 there, he says that your life will be set up on a a rock-solid foundation if you teach other people about the words of Jesus. No, he didn't. He didn't say that, right? He said, "Your life will be on a rock solid foundation if you believe the teachings of Jesus." Right? No, no, he didn't say that either. Right? He said that your life will be built on a rock solid foundation if you do these things that he's teaching. And so, yeah, I mean, mm. what what other way to live, right? If we want to be a church, if we want to be individuals, if we want to be a community that is yeah, built on a rock solid foundation. Um, it looks like yeah, putting flesh and bones on the word and yeah, proclaiming it and teaching it and believing it in our hearts, but also doing it on putting it into action by yeah, going to the to the least of these and offering them something, but also um, allowing ourselves to be offered something by them. So. I'm coming to your house to eat today. All right. That's right. Didn't he say that at least, at least, at least a few times, right? He invited himself. Hey, Hey, I'm coming over Come to your house down. for the party. I'm going to your place. Yeah, man. 
party at your place. So yeah. that's that's how Jesus did it. That's how mm-hmm. we're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. Pastor Farmer Matt Kaufman. Thanks, brother. All right. Thank you. Two forty two is a podcast from Buffalo Vineyard Church in Buffalo, New York. Our mission is to teach people the way of King Jesus by regularly encountering God, training each other in the faith, and effectively serving our neighbors. This podcast is just one of the many ways we work to realize this. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or get in touch, visit us at buffalovineyard.org. Our theme music is Face to Face from Vineyard Worship. Thank you for listening.